This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. October 1987, a seemingly uneventful afternoon unfolded in the Kisi region of southwest Kenya. At a local school, a group of students kicked off a game of soccer. The two teams volleyed the ball back and forth in what was supposed to be a friendly match. But overhead, the skies signaled danger. Swift, dark storm clouds rolled in from the east, gradually eclipsing the sunlight. These immense steel-colored anvils carried the threat of rain, hail, and lightning. Last, they unleashed their fury. The children darted across the yard and into the rugged school building. They huddled together on the dirt floor, listening as the storm pounded the tin roof above them. These sudden outbursts were unsurprising for the residents of Kisi. With its high elevation, storms were swift and frequent. But as the children waited patiently for the tempest to subside, the metal roof above made them a prime target for its ire. A sudden bolt of lightning struck the roof and filled the room with a bright flash. In a split second, the electricity coursed through the roof and into the foundations of the building. It permeated the dirt floor and raced upward through the soccer players. As their vision cleared, the children saw their teammates in various states of distress. Some had been badly burned. Others swayed in a daze. Five of them weren't moving at all. Welcome to Natural Disasters, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Tim. Every Thursday, we'll explore the moments in history when the natural world turned deadly. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Natural Disasters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. On today's one-part episode, we'll look at the recent history of lightning strikes in Kisi County, Kenya, an area with frequent thunderstorms and more lightning strike fatalities than anywhere else on Earth. 
We'll examine the climate and geography behind this phenomenon and how urban and agricultural developments of the 70s and 80s created new hazards for lightning to strike. We'll also revisit notorious lightning strikes from Kesey's history and examine what obstacles still prevent the county from taking more protective measures. Kisi County is situated in the Gusi Highlands of southwest Kenya, a mere 47 miles from the equator. The city of Kisi lies at the heart of the county, which as a whole shares an average elevation of about 5,600 feet above sea level. Lake Victoria sits to the east of Kisi. A member of the African Great Lakes, it's the second largest freshwater lake in the world, producing vast amounts of water vapor as the equatorial sun heats its surface. This vapor rises into the air, forming what are called warm fronts. These moist pockets of air move west, attracted to the cold fronts surrounding the Kisi Highlands. They combine and rise upwards, forming cumulonimbus clouds, pillows of vapor that extend upwards for miles. The clouds are heavy with moisture, and as a whole, Kisi County receives over six feet of rain per year. Like most of Kenya, its rainy season occurs in two parts. The long rains in the spring, when lightning is less frequent, and the short rains in the fall, when the larger thunderstorms occur. These short rains burn out quickly, but not before they unleash torrential rain, hail, and lightning. Lightning occurs when the wind shifts water particles inside a cloud, causing friction between the droplets. This leads to positively charged ions, which float to the top of the cloud, leaving a negative charge on the bottom. The opposite charges accumulate until the cloud can no longer maintain its electrical imbalance. Static electricity sparks on a grand scale, displayed as giant bolts of lightning. In the meantime, the ground below has built up a positive charge from its attraction to the negative charge at the base of the cloud. This positive charge concentrates around anything that reaches upward toward the sky, like lightning rods, trees, or even people, making them attractive targets for lightning to strike. The hilly, uneven landscape of Kisi is especially full of natural conductors for lightning. Its trees and ridges reach up towards the storm clouds, which already float closer to the ground thanks to Kisi's high elevation. But despite the inherent danger, Kisi is heavily populated. Due to the heavy rainfall, the region boasts excellent farmland with an agricultural history that stretches thousands of years into the past. Tens of thousands of years ago, Kisi was a lush rainforest. Then, roughly 10,000 years ago, the weather became drier. This caused the forests to thin out, which allowed for new inhabitants. As early as 500 BC, Bantu tribes, indigenous people groups from sub-Saharan Africa, began settling throughout Kenya. Those who moved into the fertile highlands of southwest Kenya became their own group, the Abagusi. The Abagusi believed in Ngoro, a supreme god and creator responsible for the natural elements, including their home's rampant thunderstorms. They believed him to be both generous and fair, and they understood lightning to be one of his revealed forms. 
If a person died of a lightning strike, the Abagusi considered it a bad omen, a sign that the person had done something wrong. As such, they minimized physical contact with the deceased and often buried the body at the very spot where they had died, believing it was their fated resting place. Even today, many Abagusi locals view lightning strike victims as having been cursed or punished by Angoro. The prevalence of lightning played into many parts of the Abagusi's life, and it still does. Legend says to avoid wearing red clothing, which people believe can attract lightning, and to steer clear of any lizards. This last practice isn't entirely superstitious. Lizards inhabit trees whose moisture and sap attracts and conducts electricity. When a tree is hit by lightning, its bark often bursts, sending its reptile inhabitants flying. Because lizards are commonly seen after these lightning strikes, they are considered to be bad omens. Despite the tumultuous weather, the Abagusi considered themselves to be blessed by Angoro. The generous rain made for fertile land, and they cleared the remaining rainforest, planting crops of bananas, rice, and other grains in its place. But this peaceful paradise wouldn't last for long. In the late 1800s, the British Empire made their way to Africa, establishing the East Africa Protectorate. By 1920, they declared the official region a colony, renaming it Kenya. The Abagusi Highlands fell within this jurisdiction and became increasingly popular due to its crop potential. In the aftermath, the Abagusi and their region became known to the British as Kisi, the Swahili term for the Abagusi. Kisi was simply easier for the foreigners to pronounce, but despite this, the natives still to this day refer to themselves as the Abagusi or Gusi people. Only their county and town is called Kisi. Britain's colonizers introduced cash crops like tea, coffee, and corn. These called for even more farmland, and as the 20th century progressed, more forest was cleared for cultivation. Kisi proper became a bustling place of commerce for British landowners and merchants. Throughout the 1920s and into the 30s, the British government made policy maneuvers in order to steadily acquire the best farmlands in Kenya. These caused increasing tensions within Kenya, and in the late 1940s, several native military groups fought to push out the British. These were largely unsuccessful attempts until a group of rebels who called themselves the Mau Mau staged an uprising in 1952. The Mau Mau were vicious to those who refused to join their cause, and they committed various war crimes against their own countrymen. Over the next four years, an estimated 1,800 innocent African lives were lost, including women and children. The British government retaliated by declaring a state of emergency in Kenya. By the time the war ended in 1956, over 11,000 Mau Mau rebels had been killed, including 1,090 convicts who the British government sentenced to capital punishment. The Kenya Human Rights Commission also estimates that around 90,000 Kenyans were tortured or wounded by British forces, and around 160,000 others were detained in brutal labor camps. Despite this heavy-handed retaliation, the British ultimately decided to give Kenya back its independence. 
By 1960, Kenyan majority rule was established, and in 1963, the country gained its full independence. With the British gone, the Kenya African National Union, or KANO, became the leading political party. Under this new government, Kenya's economy immediately flourished, and a growing set of private industries and public investments caused the country's landscape to modernize. This development included new public buildings and modernized homes, many of which were built or refitted with metal roofs. Up until that point, thatch roofs were the standard in Kenya. But while these coverings were prone to leaks and could collapse, metal roofs had a 40-year lifespan. By investing in one of these roofs up front, a Kenyan household could save hundreds of shillings over the years from not paying for the labor and repairs that would otherwise accompany a thatched roof. Metal roofs became extremely popular during the economic boom of the 60s and even up to the present day. Especially during the 60s, having a metal roof was seen as a status symbol of one's wealth, an asset to be desired, and few, if any, questioned its potential danger namely whether or not it would attract lightning bolts. According to a study conducted by researchers from the University Putra Malaysia and the University of Illinois Chicago, published in the 2012 International Conference on Lightning Protection, the combination of metal roofs and non-conducting supports, like wood or clay walls, can be incredibly dangerous. If lightning strikes the roof, there's no clear path for the current to flow into the ground. This can lead to fires or side flashes that injure people standing nearby. But for the people of Kisi, this risk wasn't at the front of anyone's mind. From 1963 to 1973, the country's agriculture grew by 4.7% annually. This meant the already bustling town of Kisi was blossoming, and the area quickly adopted the more modern building techniques, including the metal roofs. Meanwhile, an early initiative of the Kano government was to provide free education for all, and they especially focused on providing new facilities to rural areas like Kisi's countryside. These schools often consisted of a single wooden classroom, and they too had metal roofs. For Kisi in particular, these rapid developments created a strange juxtaposition. As its infrastructure and education expanded, the area also became less safe. The metal rooftops stood out against the bare agricultural landscape surrounding Kisi, making these buildings prime targets for lightning bolts, and the region as a whole lacked much in the way of electrical safety. Kisi locals were largely unaware of how metal roofs might increase the danger if lightning struck. And even if one did know the danger, installing a proper lightning rod cost extra money that many farmers in rural Kisi did not have. And so, the new schools and refitted homes lay directly in the line of fire. It was only a matter of time before lightning struck. When we return, Kisi sees an upswing in the number of lightning strike fatalities. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. And now, back to the story. In the wake of Kenya's independence in 1963, the highlands of Kisi County prospered. Farming continued to play a major role in its post-colonial economy, and as the 60s progressed, Kisi saw an uptick in its already bustling agricultural community. Meanwhile, infrastructure developments across Kenya led to more homes, schools, and buildings in Kisi that were either built or refitted with metal roofs. But with this progress came new challenges. Kisi was already prone to lightning strikes because of its high elevation and proximity to Lake Victoria. The combination of altitude and evaporation made for frequent lightning storms, especially during the short rains of the fall, which were often the most furious. As the area became increasingly devoid of trees, Kisi's landscape was left relatively bare, save for its scattering of buildings. And with their shiny metal roofs, these structures were a fire hazard waiting to happen. A person can be struck by lightning simply by standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. However, not all victims are the direct object of a lightning strike. In fact, many injuries and fatalities happen indirectly. Lightning can easily divert and strike another object or human nearby. Its electricity can also be conducted and diffused into nearby humans. For example, when lightning hits a metal roof, it can travel downward through the building's walls and spread into the ground. It then has the potential to travel upwards through a person's body. And if you're frequently barefoot, like many of Kisi's rural inhabitants prefer to be, then you're at an even greater risk. When a person or animal is struck by lightning, directly or indirectly, the charge travels through their body in three milliseconds. But the real damage happens not while this electricity is inside the body, but when it exits. As the charge fizzles out from their blood vessels, the veins often burst and leave imprints on the skin. The surrounding air grows to 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, hotter than the sun's surface, and the heat can burn one's skin and sear their clothing and hair. This isn't the only damage lightning is capable of inflicting. Most people injured by lightning survive, but they often do so with complications. Especially unlucky victims can lose their extremities, fingertips, toes, even genitalia. Lightning can cause deafness, paralysis, and a host of other neurological conditions, ranging from memory loss to mood swings. And if this weren't bad enough, children are also more likely to be hit by lightning due to their frequent outdoor activities. During the 1960s, the population in Kisi County quickly increased, which meant more homes and more schools. As this development progressed, the number of lightning tragedies grew more common. And while it may not have been an internationally known phenomenon, Kenya's government was eventually forced to take notice. By 1978, the 15-year-old government began to invest time and effort into the phenomenon of lightning fatalities. That year, President Daniel Arap Moy 
met with the East African Meteorological Department, and together they studied the growing problem and discussed how it might be addressed. As a result of these efforts, in 1981, President Moy formed the National Lightning Protection Committee. This government entity was intended to spread the word on storm safety and keep track of proper defensive installations. The committee's plan involved multiple steps, the first being to educate the public about electrical safety. Widespread public electricity was still a fairly new phenomenon in Kenya. It had arrived during the 60s, much later than the Western world, and general knowledge around electrical science remained relatively scant. In light of this, the committee created visual guides accompanied by instructions in three languages. These were distributed to the public throughout Kenya in order to illustrate the science and safety behind lightning. The committee also made efforts to educate and train local electricians on basic structural defenses, such as lightning rods and arresters. But unfortunately, these efforts weren't as frequent or widespread as they should have been. In fact, the committee's entire campaign was extremely hampered due to a general lack of government funds. The economic boom that Kenya experienced during the 60s had slowed as the 70s progressed. Land became scarcer, and the overall growth rate of Kenya's economy dipped from 7.2% in the 70s to almost half that, at 4.2% in the 80s. Everyone, including the government, was experiencing limited resources. Given this severe shortage of funds, the National Lightning Protection Committee could only educate so many people and install so many arresters. And even if they accomplished their goals in a particular area, there were no parameters in place to inspect and enforce these changes. Any conductors that did exist were often installed poorly. From the 1980s onward, lightning strike fatalities in Kenya hovered around 30, a statistic which has remained constant for nearly 40 years. Nearly all of these deaths occur in Kisi, a region only half the size of Missouri. Kisi's schools have been particularly affected because of their metal roofs. Due to the unsafe conditions created by the construction, any number of fatalities could result from just one strike. In October of 1987, students playing soccer at a local school in Kisi were interrupted by a sudden autumn storm. They ran for cover inside the nearby school building, but this put them in even greater danger. Lightning struck the roof above their heads, sending an electrical surge down through the foundations of the house and the people inside. In the aftermath, five students died. Locals said this was the third lightning strike at that particular school in only seven years, bringing Kesey's death toll for that year to 19. But the lightning storms hadn't finished wreaking their annual havoc on the locals below. The next disaster was only one month away. The sun rose over the Kisi Hills, bathing Mary Rita's modest dry goods store in warm light. It was November of 1987, late in the year, and the ensuing morning was filled with its usual calm activities as Mary and her 16-year-old sister went about their daily routine. But by afternoon, the atmosphere outside had changed. The skies brewed overhead with dark gray clouds piled miles high. Mary sighed, knowing it was only a matter of time before the storm's fury began. 
As the skies unleashed a torrent of rain, Mary and her sister prepared themselves for visitors. They were not far from a bus stop, and before too long, several Kesey locals had hurried over to Mary's store for shelter. The storm raged on as Mary, her sister, nine other women, and a baby waited for the weather to subside. The rain fell so hard that it prevented any conversation, and before long, Mary had dozed off, undisturbed by the strangers and the din outside. Suddenly, the clouds unleashed a bolt of lightning. It seared downward towards the Kesey Highland, directly over Mary Rita's store. The tip of the lightning bolt struck the metal roof over her shop and instantly traveled through the walls and ground where she, her sister, and their visitors waited. The electrical discharge instantly killed Mary, her sister, and two other women. Mary's relatives and neighbors heard the lightning's impact. When they rushed to the store, they found all of the women motionless on the ground. Seven of them were merely unconscious, while the infant screamed for its mother. Unsure which of the women were dead or alive, the bystanders tried to wake them by clanging metal debris together. No one wanted to touch a lightning victim, which they considered an unlucky omen. Eventually, the seven surviving women were carried to a nearby hospital. Many of them had only suffered minor injuries, including 22-year-old Nora Nayaboki, the young mother of the baby. When she woke up in the hospital, Nayaboki remembered nothing about the incident. She only remembered walking along the road to the bus stop. She later said, when I woke up in the hospital, I thought maybe I had been hit by a car. If I was hit by lightning, God must have saved me. Nayaboki left the hospital the next day in good health. Meanwhile, mourners had returned to Mary's shop. The dead bodies still lay where they had fallen the day before, and the village elder blessed them with the amanyansi, a concoction of herbs and water. The Amanyansi was a lightning ritual thought to ward off negative energies like witchcraft, which many believed were responsible for the lightning. In the aftermath of the strike on Mary Rita's store, tribal chief Richard Niakundi remarked that these tragedies used to happen infrequently in the past. He said, in the old days, it happened once in a decade. Now it happens every week. Every other time it rains, we get news of another death. Meanwhile, Kenya's National Lightning Protection Committee struggled to effect what little change it could, given its severe underfunding. In 1989, two years after the incident at Mary Rita's store, the committee introduced new building procedures called the Standard Codes of Practice. These called for properly installed lightning conductors in all buildings. But all in all, the new codes amounted to little more than stern advice. Installing and maintaining conductors in every single vulnerable structure would have cost millions of shillings. As it was, the government only managed to raise a fraction of that for what should have been a countrywide project. In the meantime, Kenya's economy was dipping. Economic growth had slowed from 4.2% in the 80s to 2.2% by the 90s. Due to these factors, virtually nothing was changed, and by the early 1990s, the National Lightning Protection Committee had fallen into almost complete dormancy. They no longer provided services like lightning awareness or electrical safety training. Instead, they maintained one last passive duty, 
keeping a best possible tally of lightning-related deaths in the region. But even this has been difficult. Given the expansive rural area the committee covers, tracking lightning fatalities throughout Kenya is not an easy job. And these uncertain numbers remain consistent going into the 21st century. When we return, Kenya's lightning causes an especially bizarre event in 2006. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. And now, back to the story. At the end of the 20th century, the Kisi County region of Kenya still experienced rampant lightning strikes. A slow economy had stunted most of the country's efforts to address lightning safety, and by 2006, half the population in Kenya was below the poverty line. Due to unsafe building structures, a lack of funds, and general misinformation surrounding lightning strikes and the installation of lightning arresters, Kisi's deadly strikes continued, and still do, with their disarming frequency. Lightning causes countless injuries, and an average of 30 fatalities a year in Kenya, most of which happen in Kisi. And humans aren't the only ones at risk of being struck. The farming economy of Kisi County includes open fields of livestock, which make for easy prey during a lightning storm. Lightning can either directly strike a live animal, or its current can travel through the ground to nearby organisms. When this electricity reaches an animal, like a cow or a pig, it typically kills them in an instant. But livestock aren't the only organisms threatened by lightning. Wild animals, though accustomed to nature's mood swings, can also be the targets of a lightning strike. In May 2006, near Nakuru National Park, a lake some 100 miles east of Kisi, Daniel Mbogoa watched as a storm poured down outside his home. He could see scores of pink-backed pelicans flying through the maelstrom. These native birds were used to the region's turbulent weather, and they seemed in their element. Lightning flashed across the sky, followed by the familiar crack of thunder. But as the roar of rain continued, Mbogwa began to hear heavy thuds outside his door. It was the pelicans. Lightning bolts struck them down by the dozens, sending their bodies on a crash course to the ground below. Another bystander, Simon Chega, witnessed as a pelican hit the ground. It was still alive, but seemed to be in a daze, unable to recover its bearings and fly off. Chega watched as a group of boys ran over to the bird and slaughtered it. They divided the meat between themselves before going separate ways. 
When the clouds cleared, employees from Nakuru Park retrieved the remaining bird carcasses. A total of 49 pelicans had died in the storm, their bodies scattered around a nearby stadium and primary school. One other bird had survived and was taken into care by the park to be treated for shock. As evidenced by the pelican incident, rampant lightning posed a constant threat to nearly everything in Kisi. This phenomenon has continued well into the 21st century, with Kenya averaging around 30 lightning deaths a year, most of which have happened in Kisi. One never knows exactly when or where the next bolt will strike. One mild day in September 2014, storm clouds swiftly gathered above the Nyarabari Masaba constituency of Kisi County. On the ground below, a group of farmers labored quickly. They were trying to get as much done as possible before the storm picked up. As the deluge began, the farmers ran for shelter underneath a tree. Together, they waited for the storm around them to subside. They were suddenly interrupted by an ear-splitting blast. Lightning had struck the tree above. In a split second, its electricity coursed through the tree's branches, making contact with the people below. One woman was thrown several feet. She kept consciousness, although at first she couldn't piece together what had just happened. In the end, three other farmers, 70-year-old Patricia Mora Omanga, 81-year-old Unike Mora Anwai, and 14-year-old Mogiti Okindo had perished from the blast. Word of these deaths spread across Kisi, striking an all-too-familiar fear with its locals. But this time, it was accompanied by even further worries. On August 13, 2015, an early thunderstorm interrupted a boys' soccer game. The children instinctively ran for shelter under a nearby tree. Just then, a bolt of lightning reached out from the sky. It struck the tree and channeled through the trunk and into the ground. In their bare, wet feet, the children easily conducted electricity. The adults nearby rushed to the scene, but it was too late. A total of five boys had died. Villages constantly held funerals for tragedies like these, but nature itself seemed to disregard these sacred ceremonies. On October 19, 2015, two months after the soccer incident, a funeral for yet another lightning victim took place. The service was held in Kisi proper, after which a small group of mourners carried the body to their hometown of Morchorwa, roughly 10 miles away. While en route, a seasonal tempest kicked up. As the mourners trudged barefoot through the rain, they scanned the road for a place where they could take temporary shelter. It came in the form of a simple home. Six people fled inside, carrying the body of the deceased with them. But they were no more safe here than they had been outside. A sudden crash of lightning struck the roof above, killing two of the people inside instantly. Another person was so badly injured that they died before they could make it to a hospital. Of the three survivors, two had suffered burns on almost half of their bodies. Poor protection in the building's frame had certainly caused the lightning to become deadly, but to the locals of Kisi, another factor might have been at work. 
To this day, superstition around lightning still runs high, with many people refusing to touch someone who's been killed by lightning. And another belief says that first-time lightning strike victims are more likely to be hit again. By that logic, one might suspect that the deceased lightning victim put all of the people inside the shelters at risk. And while this remains pure superstition, the lightning strike casualty was certainly what led the mourners to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. These misfortunes continue to impact Kisi annually. Nowadays, the African Centers for Lightning and Electromagnetics Network, or ACLE-NET, is an organization that tracks and raises awareness of lightning-related damage. They also curate a database of lightning-related incidents from the past decades in Kenya. Each year shows new accounts of schoolchildren and farmers disproportionately killed by the sky's electrical discharges. And according to recent numbers, the statistics may be growing. In 2018 alone, the ACLE net recorded 35 deaths by lightning in Kenya, a 20% increase above average. And while Kisi in particular lacks much of the resources and awareness to alleviate these tragedies, the increased turbulence of the storms themselves may be indicating a new factor, one completely outside of human control, climate change. Temperatures across Africa have undeniably increased over the last few decades and continue to do so, with a one degree Celsius increase in average temperatures since 1960. With these warmer temperatures, more water vapor rises off places like Lake Victoria, leading to increased humidity, warmer winds, and more violent thunderstorms. Findings reported in the Washington Post also show that the number of major thunderstorms in the Sahara has tripled in 30 years, from 1982 to 2016. Even if Kisi County had better funding and improvements to steal their infrastructure against the threat of lightning, they would still be relentlessly battered by an increase in stormy weather. Meanwhile, tragic incidents, especially those involving schools, continue to occur on an alarmingly frequent basis. On May 25th, 2018, about 100 miles north of Kisi in Butsoso North, the Ebushibo Primary School held a student soccer tournament. But partway through, a storm rolled in, ending the game and forcing the teenage players to take cover inside a classroom. As it was still spring, a season when electrical storms were uncommon, no one worried about the safety of their shelter. Little did they know, the storm had lightning in store. A sudden bolt of electricity struck the roof and instantly rushed into the ground. It jolted upward through the bodies inside the room, injuring over 22 students inside. The teachers quickly brought the injured teenagers to the nearby home of a retired nurse. In the aftermath, one of the students, a young girl, died at the home. Officials investigating the matter initially stressed that the school needed lightning arresters, but during their research, they learned a surprising fact. The school already had four arresters that had been previously installed. However, the responsible parties failed to place them close enough to the school. Unfortunate circumstances such as these are largely due to the lack of public funding and safety enforcement, as well as public misinformation about the necessity of precautionary measures. But luckily, more recent strikes have caused an attitude of impatience and concern, at least on a local level. 
In 2019, local politicians from Kisi County, Timothy Ogugu and Dennis Ombachi, publicly called for new arresters to be added to the region's structures. Ombachi stressed that by providing adequate defenses for the schools, they also help to defend nearby properties from lightning strikes. The results of this campaign are yet to be seen. In the meantime, lightning continues to plague the residents of Kisi County and its surrounding regions. On the afternoon of January 16, 2020, just east of Kisi County in the Khorasoi North region of southwest Kenya, an all-too-familiar tragedy unfolded. At the Mkolima Primary School, teachers watched as the students began their recess outdoors. The weather was the furthest thing from anyone's mind. After all, January fell outside of both the long and short rainy seasons in Kenya. But then, inexplicably, the afternoon turned savage. As storm clouds gathered above, the students took cover inside their schoolhouse, which consisted of old wooden walls and a rusty metal roof. A lightning bolt struck part of the roof above the year three and four classroom. In the aftermath, over 50 children were rushed to the nearby hospital. Three of them perished. In response to yet another school tragedy, the sub-county director of education in Kurosoi North, a man named Wycliffe Omoto, took decisive action. He temporarily shuttered the school, deeming it too dangerous for students, and he pledged the government would take additional measures to prevent more of these tragedies from occurring in his jurisdiction. Omoto has promised that the government will install lightning arresters in 100 primary schools and 37 secondary schools across the region. And while this promise is admirable, it echoes similar sentiments over the years that have yet to come to fruition, a pattern some locals describe as municipal ineptitude. Jeremiah Jomo, the parent of a Mkolima primary school student, claims these measures have already been brought forth by the locals, but that these protests fell on deaf ears. He said, We have raised concern over dilapidated infrastructure at the school, but no one has heeded us. The same sentiment holds true across Kenya, as locals become more and more aware of the dangers of infrastructure and the growing number of lightning victims. Knowledge itself is hardly a defense, especially for those who lack the resources to effect change. To implement these improvements on a countrywide scale would require significant input from the government. This one crucial detail remains to be seen. Thanks for listening to Natural Disasters. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Natural Disasters and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Natural Disasters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Natural Disasters on Spotify, just open the app and type Natural Disasters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Natural Disasters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It's executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Mike Ramos with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Natural Disasters was written by Jake Flanagan with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Tim Johnson and Kate Leonard. <laughs>